Happy Father's Day to all of the dads and granddads who are out there, and welcome back to our series, Tomorrowland. In this series, we're talking about how to face the future without fear. Remember, the Apostle Paul has written two little letters to believers living in a place called Thessaloniki, Greece, and they're called First and Second Thessalonians. In those letters, he's answering questions that they have, and he's also trying to encourage them as well as give them guidance and instruction. They are now in a situation where they're beginning to face a lot of persecution. And Paul's worried about them. After all, they're young believers. Pressure is rising. And you can imagine the tension that might begin to exist within the church itself, even as they're still witnessing and telling people about Jesus. And so Paul, knowing that it might cause some uh, splitting, it may cause some dissension, some disunity, gives them what I would call a code of conduct to live by. In fact, Paul says in verse, uh, in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that it's actually what he's giving them is the will of God. So if it's the will of God for them, we know it's the will of God for you and for me as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn it into a bit of an assessment and uh, I would love to have you follow along. So if you want to, you can go right on the online platform you're watching right now. Go to the notes tab and you'll see the outline and the assessment there. Or you can go to wooddale.org, our homepage, and right above my Friday encouragement section, you'll see a link there. Again, it just says self-assessment. Click on that. You can download it and print it. And while you're getting ready to do all that, let me talk to you about animal training. You say, what? Yep, let me talk to you about animal training. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm always amazed when I see these trainers handling the large wild animals that, you know, ordinarily would be very vicious and might attack them and might even eat them up. And yet they get these animals, these tigers, these lions and, and other ferocious beasts to eat right out of their hands without eating their hands as though they were house pets. How do they do that? What goes on behind the scenes? Well, there's a lady that wrote a book, and the book is What Shamu Taught Me About Life, Love, and Marriage. Amy Sutherland is her name. She's a lot of wit and wisdom and actually draws principles out from animal training to talk about how to train human beings. What's interesting is a lot of what she says corresponds to what we're going to be seeing Paul say there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So I'm wondering, do you have an animal that needs training in your life? Do you have kids or a spouse or a boss or a neighbor that you would like to kind of help shape their behavior? Well, at the end of our assessment, I'm going to give you three secrets, three ways, very biblical, on how to train better behavior in other people. Now, in a moment, we're going to get started, but I want to give you the grading system for our assessment. It's pretty simple. It goes like this, looks like this. A is excellent. Hey, I need to mentor others in this. I'm so good. B is above average. I got a little bit of room for improvement, but I'm not bad. C is average. I'm not completely healthy in this area. I could use some improvement. Then D is below average. This, is, this really needs my attention in my life. And then F, well, that's terrible. That, that's, I'm flunking, and uh, I need to repent because I'm doing the opposite, okay? So that's kind of the system we'll use. I'll remind you of that. 
if there are some of you uh, who are watching who are couples, maybe you want to even try assessing each other. But then I don't have a lot of time for marriage counseling. So maybe you should just assess yourself, all right? Let's get started. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our first verse we're going to look at is verse 12. Paul says, But we request of you, brethren, that you, he says, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, it's Father's Day, so we're going to broaden the application of this verse. We're going to think about our dads as leaders, our granddads, but then we'll also think about others who are in leadership over our lives because that's who Paul's talking to, the leaders in the church and the congregation. So think about your Sunday school teacher, your Bible study leader, your small group leader. Think about pastors. Think about elders. Think about others who, you know, disciple you, mentor you. Paul says when you think about them, when you think about dad, show appreciation. And the word appreciate there in the Greek actually means I want you to make sure that you respect them, that you acknowledge them. Acknowledge and respect them. Now, look at this verse because it tells us the reason why we should acknowledge and respect them is they're doing some important things. Number one, he says, first of all, they diligently labor among you. Now, what that simply means is he's saying, look, these folks are not working for themselves. They're not working for their own glory. They're looking after you. They're trying to take care of you. All right? He goes on and he says they have charge over you. Now, when he says they have charge over you, he doesn't mean lording it over you. What he means is they're responsible for your souls. They answer to God for you and uh, what they say and how they treat you and how they teach you. All right? And the last thing he says, he says, and they give you instruction. That has actually a double meaning. First, it means that they actually encourage you with the Word of God. They teach you from God's Word. But it also means that they love you enough that sometimes they confront you with God's Word and challenge maybe some issues in your life that you need to change or improve on. Paul says for people who do that for you, whether it's dad or mom, or whether it's the pastor or your small group leader, whoever it is, Paul says, make sure that you, that you acknowledge them and that you also respect them. So, we're going to now make our assessment. So let's look at the first assessment here. How are you doing when it comes to appreciating those who diligently labor among you, who are leading you, who are looking after you? Would you say you're excellent? Would you say you're above average? Would you say you're average? Would you say, ah, I'm below average? Or would you say, man, I'm flunking on this? I, I don't really take any time to acknowledge and respect those who have that kind of leadership in my, in my life, all right? Now, I know some of you are probably going to want more time to think about these things before you answer them, so I respect that, but i got to kind of move through this. I would, however, suggest that the first thing that comes to your mind is probably the right thing, okay? All right, let's look at verse 13. Paul goes on, he says, and that you esteem, so here's the word we want to look at, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Then he says, live in peace with one another. Let's talk about that word esteem for a moment. It actually means to lift up high. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy that when it comes to leaders, we're not, we're not supposed to put them on a pedestal. 
and we're not supposed to follow them blindly. However, this idea of lifting them up high, esteem, has the picture of what happens like when a, when a team wins and they grab their coach. You ever seen them do that? And they hoist the coach up on their shoulders and carry the coach around. That's what Paul's saying you should do. Now understand, do that if you have a leader who's leading you well. If you have someone fathering you, mothering you, caring for you, encouraging you, discipling you, and they're doing it in a godly way, that's how you ought to treat them. It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Remember when he says to the wife, he says, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And usually that's where a lot of people stop and they go, hey, I don't like that. I'm, I, I, I'm, I don't get that. Sounds like Paul's a chauvinist. But if you keep reading, he says, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He gave his life. He lived sacrificially for the church. So Paul's idea is, look, wives, if your husband's treating you like Jesus, then then respect him. Then it should be a joy to follow his leadership. Same thing is true in this passage. If your leaders are leading you like Jesus, trying their best to lead you like Jesus, then they deserve, he says, to be esteemed. All right, so let's uh, do our assessment when it comes to uh, this verse and what we just discovered. So here it is. How are you doing when it comes to lifting up those who lead you, all right? How are you doing in lifting them up highly in love for them? Excellent. Man, I'm a mentor at this. I, I can teach people how to do it. Above average, I got this pretty well down. Maybe a couple areas I need to work on. Average, well, I got some things going, but man, I do have some areas I need to improve on. Below average, man, I, I, you know, I really got to work on this, or I'm, I'm just doing terribly at this. I'm I'm living the opposite of this. I need to repent. How would you rate yourself? Now, in that passage, Paul also talked about living in peace with everyone. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul goes on and he says, listen, try your best to be at peace with everybody as much as possible. Why? Well, first of all, it's the right thing to do as a believer. And secondly, everybody's watching us. And one of, our, one of our testimonies or one of our witnesses is that we find unity, that we're able to work through our issues and we're able to get along with one another. So Paul says, I want you to make every effort not to be known as the people who grumble and complain, but as the people who have peace with one another. Stop pointing out problems and stop picking on each other. Live in peace. Now, let's assess that, all right? So, how are you doing when it comes to living in peace with one another? In your family, or in the church, or in your small group, or in your neighborhood, or wherever there are relationships, are you the one who always brings peace? Do you work toward peace? How would you rate yourself? Excellent, above average, average, below average, or terrible? I got to work on this some more, all right? Let's move on to our next verse. In verse 14, Paul says, We urge you, brethren, admonish, he says, admonish the unruly. Uh-oh, there were some unruly folks in Thessalonica in the church. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. And he says, help the weak and be patient with everyone. So we got a lot of assessing to do here. Let's talk about it. 
What he's saying is, pay attention, wake up, give attention to this, he says. I urge you, all right, admonish, which means confront. Confront people who are unruly. Now, in what ways were they being unruly? Well, we learned from reading 1 Thessalonians that some were lazy. Some were just kind of living off everybody else in the church and not doing their part. Some were argumentative. Some didn't want to agree, didn't want to work together. And were not in keeping with the instructions that the Apostle Paul had given to them. Paul says, you can't just ignore that. You've got to confront them lovingly, but you've got to confront them and bring them under the word of God and under the proper authority. He also says that you're to encourage the faint-hearted. And this word faint-hearted in the Greek actually means small soul. So what he's saying is, I need you, I encourage you to encourage those who are small of soul. That is, those who are discouraged, those who are depressed, those who are downhearted. You are to lift them up. And then he says, help the weak. Now what's interesting is the word that he uses there actually means attach yourself to. And the weak refers to not just those who are physically weak, but morally weak, who are struggling morally. Those who are economically weak, who are struggling with finances, with getting food on the table. Those who are spiritually weak, who are, who are struggling to understand the truth, the word of God. He says, attach yourself to them. That's called discipleship. And pour into their lives so that they become strong and don't remain weak. And then he says, be patient with everyone. And the word that he uses, patient there, is, is the word that's used for a really long fuse. All right? In other words, have a very long, 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 long fuse. It's also known as long-suffering. I can't wait for you to do this assessment. You ready? We got a whole bunch of them here, and uh, we'll put it up as soon as I erase my marks and uh, see, how, see how you do with this. All right? Let's take a look at it. How would you assess yourself when it comes to lovingly confronting those who are out of line in your family or in church or in other relationships? How are you doing in encouraging those who are uh, downhearted, who are discouraged, who might be depressed? How are you coming alongside people who are weak in various ways and strengthening them? And then how are you doing in terms of patience? How would you rate yourself? A, excellent. B, above average. C, average. D, below average. F, I've got to work on this. Now, I hope we don't have a lot of Fs, all right? But the good news is we can always repent and we can always change, all right? Let's go to our next verse. Paul says in verse 15, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So don't repay evil for evil, but seek after that which is good. Now when Paul writes this, I think what he's doing is he's addressing the issue of the persecutors. As these believers are being persecuted by unbelievers, Paul is saying, when they do bad to you, don't do bad back to them. It doesn't accomplish a thing. It is a terrible witness. What Paul's saying is, listen, when they slap you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. When they take your, your outer coat, give them your shirt. Jesus said things like that, right? What Paul is saying to them is, when they insult, forgive. 
When Paul, what Paul is saying is when they are selfish, you be selfless. I love that quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And how we need to hear it right now in our culture. There's so much darkness in our culture. So much hatred. Those of us who call ourselves believers, we need to be the light of Christ. We need to be the love of Jesus right now. That's what the world needs. Not more rhetoric. Not more arguments. We just got to show up and be the light and the love of Christ. And then, of course, like Paul says, you know, we've got to look out for one another. Paul says in another letter to Philippians, he says, don't just be concerned about yourself, but be concerned about others and lift others up. Let's do our assessment. You ready? How are you doing when it comes to repaying another with evil for evil? I, I, hope, that, I hope that you don't do that. I hope you say, you know, I score excellent there. I don't, I don't throw anything back at anybody. Or maybe you're struggling. You say, at best, I'm average. I get caught in that sometimes in my, in my marriage or in my family. You know, they yell at me, I yell at them. Something happens, I kind of fight back. Or, you know, at, at work, I'm, I'm usually always seeking my own interest. I'm not looking out for others. I want to make sure I get the credit. How would you rate yourself in those areas? Again, you might want to take more time to process that, but I suggest what comes to your mind First is probably what's accurate, what's right. Let's move on in our assessment. Verse 16 through 18, Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, he says. In everything, he says, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Now, contextually, everything he's saying is God's will for them in Christ. But let's talk about this for a moment. Rejoice always. You know, for a believer, we understand that life's not always going to be easy. We know there's going to be trials and difficulties. We accept that. But as we mature in our faith, we ought to have a joyous spirit that always accompanies us. So how can you be joyous when you're going through a trial? We can be joyous because we know God uses trials in our lives to make us more like Christ. And our joy comes from knowing that as everything's kind of taken out from underneath of us, we learn to lean into him. I've been doing my devotions in the book of Romans, and in chapter 5, there's a passage I've been meditating on. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. You almost, I almost want to laugh when I read that. It just doesn't make sense. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. That is not my natural reaction when it happens to me. How about you? He says, well, here's why we can do it. He says, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Not just salvation of my soul, but salvation when Christ returns. Salvation in the holistic sense when we'll finally be done with this life and in his presence. He says that this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. 
So I don't know what you're facing or going through right now, but I want you to know you are dearly loved by God. God is taking whatever you're facing right now to shape you more into the image of His Son because He's getting ready to return or ready for you to come home. And He wants us to endure and keep that godly character. Our greatest witness is how we behave and our attitude in the midst of trials and difficulties. The world grumbles, complains, and gets angry. We keep a joyous spirit because our eyes are fixed on Christ. He says, pray without ceasing. What that literally means is take those problems, take those trials, lay them before the Lord in regular prayer. Bring your joys before the Lord in regular prayer. Be in conversation with God. Let your mind always be communicating with Him. That's what he means. He says, pray without ceasing. Let there be an ongoing conversation between you and God about all things. You know, I love it when my kids call me. I can't wait for them to call me and my grandkids. Highlight for me. Highlight for me. God, he wants to hear from you. He wants you to call him regularly. He wants you to speak to him. Paul goes on, he says, in everything, give thanks. And you got to attach that to rejoice always, right? So in everything, even in the trials, give thanks. Even in the little, give thanks. You know, it's a powerful scene when Jesus has to feed 5,000 people and he's only got a few fish and loaves of bread. Isn't it interesting what he does with it? He lifts it up and he thanks God. He thanks God for the little and then the little gets multiplied in a huge way. I think we would see greater multiplication in our lives, spiritually speaking, if we were to practice being thankful even for the little. When you're truly thankful for the smallest things, it gets multiplied in your life and the life of others into huge, huge blessings. That's how God works. It is God's will, he says. So we go back to our assessment page now. And uh, let's take a look at it, all right? How would you assess yourself when it comes to having a joyful spirit? How would you assess yourself when it comes to praying without ceasing? How would you assess yourself when it comes to giving thanks in everything? Now, be honest. And let's, let's be honest enough to say that even for myself, there are, there are a few of these where, you know, I got to work. I'm down in this range. I got to work on some of this. And maybe you do as well. Just be honest with yourself. That's how we begin to grow in our faith. All right? Let's look at our next verse. Paul's writing here, and uh, he says in verse 19 through 22, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. He says, but examine, right? Big word. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's break this down. First of all, this word quench, literally it means don't drown the fire. If there's a fire, don't throw a bucket of water on it. You know, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, right, with fire, so to speak. What he's saying is don't drench the Holy Spirit. Don't douse the Holy Spirit. Don't douse the Holy Spirit with your sin, with your attitude, with the wrong things that you do. But in particular here he says, don't douse the Holy Spirit 
by despising prophetic utterances. Now we're talking about what's called the gift of prophecy. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And incidentally, I believe that all the spiritual gifts are alive and active today. Uh, John Piper, Tim Keller, uh, N.T. Wright, many other godly men and scholars would agree that they're active today. Now, if you disagree, that's fine uh, for you. We'll just choose to agree to disagree. But I believe they're very active today. And the gift of prophecy is a gift of foretelling. It has to do with getting a word from God, so to speak. It can be about something in the future. It can be about direction. It can be about a decision. It can be about a problem. It can be about a challenge. But God gives you a clear impression about something. And evidently what was going on is that the, in the church at Thessalonica, there had folks that had to get the prophecy. And they were foretelling certain things. And evidently there were those that didn't like that and were trying to shut them down. Or there were some that said some things that were not in agreement with Scripture. And because they weren't, they just said, let's shut the whole thing down. Paul says, don't do that. Don't throw water on the Holy Spirit. Let the gifts operate is what he's trying to say. And then what he tells us is, look, he says, what you have to do is you have to examine what's being said carefully. And if it's good, if it's true, hang on to it. Now, if what a person is saying is, is evil, is heresy, then he says, abstain completely away from it. That is evil. Now, I've had moments in my life where God has, in the moment, given me this sense of the gift of prophecy. Being here at Wooddale Church is one example. I was here when I was a kid, when I was young, early in my ministry, and I told my wife, I'm going to be back. I knew I would be here in a pastor role at some point. I knew it without a doubt. I knew the night the church in California that called me to go pastor there, I knew they were going to call me that night. I had not heard a word from them, and I told my wife, I said, they're calling us tonight. When I went on my sabbatical at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, I knew before I handed the application that we would be accepted and go. I can't tell you how, how that worked. It just came over me, and I knew. Now, I've also had other impressions in my life that I thought for sure was what God was saying and what God wanted, but I was wrong. That's why you should never say to somebody, I have a word from the Lord for you, or I have a word from God. Because the moment you say, I have a word from God, who can then evaluate that? Who can judge that, right? I think the best thing is to say, this is how God's impressing me. I think this is what God may be saying in this situation. Then it allows the person to back off and say, okay, let's, you know, first of all, is this biblical? And, and secondly, is it coming from a man or a woman with godly character? And then let's listen and see what happens. But there are examples, even in our day, where some words that are being given as though from the Lord are, are truly evil. For instance, when people who call themselves men or women of God or Christians question the inerrancy of the Bible, that's evil. Or when the deity of Jesus is being questioned, that's evil. Or when the whole issue of sexuality is being rethought and scriptures are being used to make sure that the view of sexuality adapts more to culture than to God's word, that's evil. And that is to be abstained from. So you see what Paul's doing here. He's giving guidance to the church then, and he's giving guidance to the church today. 
So we go back to this passage of Scripture, and we ask ourselves, all right, when it comes to this, how should we then assess ourselves? So we put our assessment up. Well, how are you doing when it comes to the Holy Spirit? Do you give freedom to the Holy Spirit? Or are you quenching the Spirit? How are you doing when it comes to other people sharing what God, they believe God's saying to them or through them? Are you willing to listen? How are you doing when it comes to examining everything carefully? Every sermon I preach, examining it carefully. Every lesson you hear, every book you read, examining it carefully. Does it stack up to the Word of God? How are you doing when it comes to abstaining from every form of evil? Whether it's false prophecy or it's just the immorality of our culture and our world today or the hatred and the bigotry, whatever it is, how are you doing from abstaining from that? So this is our assessment that we've been working through together. And now that we've kind of come to the end of it, I want to share with you three ways to help others improve in these areas. So here's the first way, all right? The first secret. You can influence better behavior, like the ones we just talked about, by ignoring bad behavior. By ignoring bad behavior. So for instance, take an animal trainer that's uh, trying to train an, an ape. And the ape throws garbage at them and uh, throws dung at them. Gross, right? Should that trainer then throw the trash and dung back at the ape? Of course not. All you're doing is reinforcing that bad action in that ape. You don't do that. Well, let's bring it to a human level, right? Let's say that you have a spouse or a boss that yells at you all the time. If you yell back at them, you're reinforcing their behavior. Or if you go and cower in the corner and cry, you're reinforcing their behavior, their bad behavior. You want to get them to behave the right way, so what do you do? You act toward them the way you would want them to act toward you. I think that's what Paul meant when he said in that verse, don't repay anyone evil for evil, but look out for their good. In other words, don't throw it back at them. Give them what you would want from them. All right? So that's one thing you begin to do with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your boss, or your neighbors. Begin to change their behavior by you behaving the way they should behave. Number two, here we go. Ready? Remembering any interaction is training. Any interaction is training. So, for instance, if you have a kid and you're telling your son or your daughter, pick up your room, pick up your room, pick up your room, and they never do. And so you eventually go ahead and pick it up. You're just reinforcing their bad behavior. Because of your interaction, they're just going to get used to you nagging all the time. Or let's say you have a friend who's down and discouraged. And so every time you meet them and they're down, they're discouraged, they're depressed, you take them shopping and buy them something to try to cheer them up. Okay, your interaction of buying them that just reinforces their depression, their discouragement. They're learning, they're literally learning, hey man, when I'm down, Dale buys me something. Or Dale takes me somewhere. What you want to do, remember what Paul said? He says, encourage those who are faint-hearted. Help those who are weak. In other words, help them overcome. Show them how to be happier, how to find joy. Show them how to do better economically or how to do better in some other way. 
lead them to an improvement. Every interaction you have is influencing somebody. How are you interacting with others? Think about that. Last but not least, rewarding the behavior you want. Rewarding the behavior you want. Remember what Paul said? He said, he said, appreciate those who are in leadership. Esteem them. Lift them up on your shoulders. Right? The more you give attaboys, the more you say, good job, people rise to the occasion. I got to tell you a funny story. Marcia, my wife, and I were talking this past week about some of the day trips we've taken here in Minnesota, and we were reflecting on one we took a couple of years ago. I begrudgingly took it. Um, we went uh, to do some canoeing and hiking, and I just was in a mood, didn't want to go, and I knew she wanted to go, and I went anyway, and I barked and complained and groaned the entire time. I made it a miserable experience for her because I didn't want to be there. At the end of the day, however, we discovered Nelson's ice cream. I love Nelson's ice cream. I don't care if I'm doing an advertisement for them. I love that place. I've never had bigger, better, greater ice cream. The three scoop was amazing. And my wife said to me, she says, it was like a drug in you, Dale. It changed your whole attitude, your whole behavior. If only we had had the ice cream at the beginning of the day. And of course, you know, I had to apologize. But you see, that was my reward, right? It sounds silly to you, doesn't it? But that is true. If you want people to change their behavior, reward them with something that makes the change worthwhile. Paul says, reward your leaders and they will lead you well. Who do you need to reward in your life? Who do you need to lift up in your life? Now here's your homework assignment. After you're done with that assessment, because I'm sure a lot of you didn't get it all done yet, but after you're done with it, I want you to choose one, just one area you're going to improve. Just one thing that Paul said that you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to raise that up to an A. And what are you going to do to make it happen? And I want to encourage you to tell somebody so that you have accountability in that conduct of behavior. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray and ask that this very practical message would become a reality in our lives. That, Lord, we would seek to change ourselves to better conform to the image of Christ, to be a blessing to those that we live with and those that we lead and those that we minister to. Lord, let this conduct of behavior be the behavior of us as a church, Wooddale Church. May we score high and score well in what your will is for us, I pray. And Father, I pray, show us how to better help others change in their behavior by responding to them the way that Christ would. All for God's glory, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Stay with us. We got some more things to share with you. I'll see you next weekend.